Hey y'all, it's James Lindsay. Um, been trying to figure out how I was going to get around to talking about this issue here on New Discourses. A while ago, I actually wrote a very short document. It's really an outline. Um, I titled it, How to Insert Wokeness into Any Field of Study in Three Straightforward Steps, a Genome Map of Critical Social Justice as a Virus in Academia. And of course, I wrote this well before the COVID-19 pandemic took off. Um, I was pretty excited about it. I It was quite a while ago. Um, and I wanted to try to figure out a way to work it into the materials that I would eventually release in new discourses, but it hasn't seemed really relevant to talk about how uh, critical social justice actually operates. If we talk about it as being like a virus, which I've talked about on here recently and written about recently on New Discourses, um, borrowed straight from their literature, uh, a paper, uh, Women's Studies as Virus, uh, that compares it to HIV and Ebola in a favorable way, saying that it should be viral and disruptive and infect other fields. If we talk about that, it's very important to talk about not just that it is this, but also how it works and as, as much clarity as possible. So I wrote this outline and I thought, well, if I write this up and write it properly, it'll be kind of a Lindsay epic. <laughs> Sometimes comes up, you know, 10 some odd thousand words that will take a long time to read and a long time to write, and a long time to edit, and a long time to get through and understand. And maybe I will write it. But um, it seemed a little bit less pressing because it, it's about, as it says, how does it take over academic fields of study? And so I didn't feel like, you know, the groundwork was laid yet to really explain the, the critical social justice mindset and that became a priority and when would this come out? And I had no idea what to do with it. So what's happened more recently, though, is that uh, I've seen more and more things that are putting critical social justice topics like equity in particular, health equity, or these analyses that, you know, people are kind of memifying and joking and saying that uh, this, this novel coronavirus kills and impacts men at a much higher rate than women, and women are the most affected, of course, and then calls for intersectional analysis. And th these have not gone away, contrary to popular opinion at the moment. They are still going on. But what I've noticed is that these attempts to intersectionalize the response to coronavirus follows roughly the same three straightforward step genome map of the critical social justice virus in academia. So now seems like a good time to go through the outline and going through it in audio is probably the most efficient way to do that. So I'll just jump right in. Um, the, the concept here again is that critical social justice actually operates like a virus. It needs a host. It infects that virus. It replaces its DNA, if you will, its genetic material with its own. And that critical social justice genetic material then replicates. It uses the machinery of whatever it takes over to replicate itself and to turn that, say, academic discipline, that coronavirus response, whatever it happens to be, into a critical social justice production machine. So that's the premise, and I say that this occurs according to three pretty simple, predictable, describable steps that you can learn to recognize. We can go through it. Um, I'll talk about some examples from academia, but I will also tie this into what I'm seeing with critical social justice taking over the coronavirus response efforts and study. Okay, so I said it's in three straightforward steps. I want you to really think of this as sort of the, the genome map to the, whether it's RNA or DNA sequence that the virus of critical social justice is injecting into cells that are our institutions and our communities. 
that turn them into critical social justice replicators and machines. So step one of this process is actually to turn whatever field of study you're talking about into the sociology and cultural anthropology of that field instead. So that's kind of heavy. So the way that that actually occurs is that the critical scholars, the people focused on critical social justice, will focus particularly on the sociological issues around that field. So they'll talk about, say, whether it's physics, they'll talk about the physics community a lot. It doesn't matter what field it is, mathematics, they'll talk about the mathematics community, and they're going to make this into a study of the sociology of that field. In particular, they will probably point out problems and represent, uh, representation uh, or the behavior in departments at conferences and so on. So what you'll have is them saying that there is not equity in terms of, say, the number of women that are represented in that department or there aren't enough uh, of this minority or that minority or sexual minorities or whatever. And then they'll say that the behavior at conferences, you have too many so-called mannels, if you will. Uh, that's a panel that's made up of all or mostly men. And that there's this kind of, um, I don't know of how many people would believe this about academics, but it turns out we're humans and they go to conferences and conferences are like big meetings of people who think like you and they're kind of a working vacation in many respects and they tend to involve a lot of partying and people tend to hook up and all this stuff so then the hookup culture around that of course is going to become patriarchal and rape culture-ish or rapey as they might say so they're going to study the sociology of of the field itself what are the demographics where are they why are they that way according to theory they're going to talk about the behaviors in departments and at conferences. They're going to look at hiring practices. And the goal of criticalizing the field will be to make those the most relevant discussions. What's going on uh, sociologically around the field? They'll also talk a lot, as this develops, about the history of the way the field was studied. This is kind of making it about cultural anthropology. So they'll say, for example, in the infamous feminist glacier study. Uh, they talked about how, not wrongly, how, how glacier science or glacier study, I shouldn't even call it science yet, at the very early days was done by very intrepid explorers who usually, because they had to climb really dangerous mountains or going to the Arctic or Antarctic to do their research on glaciers, were pretty hardy, tough guys. And there was this sort of culture, you know, well over a hundred 150 years ago, that uh, how tough and manly of an explorer you were had something to do with how good your glacier research was. And so they start digging into that history and looking for power dynamics. So the conclusion in the feminist glacier paper there was that because men had this kind of, there was this kind of this manly culture around the very beginnings of glaciology that must have infected how glaciology is done forever. That's, I'm not making that up. That's how they think. It's it's so absurd. You have to say, I'm not making it up, but that's how they think. So they start digging into that history and uh, alongside digging into the sociology. So these two things actually have some depth to them. They have a source uh, besides using, they have a, a few sources. Uh, the, the, the critical theory schools certainly would have been interested in looking both at the the sociology sociology in fact significantly arose but not entirely arose out of uh, critical theory or very deeply in conjunction with it it's probably more accurate to say that critical theorists early on co-opted sociology to their to their critique and remake society project um, but in particular, um, Michel Foucault was very famous for explaining that you have to study both the, uh, you have to study things both critically and archaeologically, as he called it, or genealogically, I should say, as he called it, to understand the power dynamics that the culture around that thing, uh, 
has an operation. So this is a very Foucauldian, a very postmodern kind of concept. So the cultural anthropology, let's dig into the history of power dynamics in the field, and we're going to assume that those power dynamics have left an indelible imprint on the field. That would be Foucauldian genealogy project. And then let's look at the sociology right now in a critical way would be a very Foucauldian sociological project, uh, critical project. So the roots of critical social justice being in the neo-Marxist critical theory school known as the Frankfurt School Institute for Social Research on the one hand, which would have engaged in this kind of uh, look at things to try to find the hidden assumptions and hidden power in there. And then the postmodern aspect of that, uh, especially appealing to Foucault's concept of, of genealogy and criticism, is where this kind of genome of this critical social justice virus got its genetic material. So the way this will kind of roll out we're still in step one, which is turning the field of study at hand into the sociology and cultural anthropology of that field instead, is that they'll talk about implicit bias a lot. The reason they talk about implicit bias so much is because implicit bias is damn near the closest thing they have to what looks like real evidence for their claim that we have hidden biases that we don't really confront and that need to be examined self-reflectively and self-critically. Uh, they will start to generate conferences and uh, materials like journals, essays, um, speeches, uh, talks at conferences and so on, but conferences entirely themselves eventually that are meant to investigate the sociology and kind of cultural anthropology of the field itself. So this critical approach, and if you want to add in that genealogical approach, are going to become central activities here in step one. They're going to create their own kind of parallel disciplines that are the, instead of say physics, it will now be physics studies or critical physics studies that are very interested in looking at the sociology and uh, genealogical history, both in a very critical way of those fields. And they will generate a parallel discipline that's the studies of or critical study of say physics. In the process of creating this, they will start to credential People who do this by giving them specific awards or special awards because the entire academy is kind of soft to this. Um, they will often participate and recognize those awards or credential them further or, or add to them or uh, give them out as part of like something that their departments do. And in essence, what this does, as I was saying, is creates a parallel discipline, a critical study of the field of study. And it will have its own journals, it will have its own books, it will eventually have its own departments or sub-departments within academic study, and so on. Those will then be leveraged to generate apparent legitimacy. Say, well, we have an academic journal behind us, and look at all these books published in university presses that we have. And we have now three faculty members who do, can dedicate their entire careers to this kind of work, and blah, blah, blah. So it leverages that for apparent legitimacy. They leverage it to the uh, to the, to claim their to to claim um, that they've been excluded by the operating dominant power dynamic, and that justifies a need for more critical methods. And then they're just going to continue this process kind of cyclically until legitimacy and in, in the, of their parallel field is established. The most naked I think I've ever seen this. Um, about a year ago, I was asked to review a book about critical dietetics. Dietetics is not uh, Scientology. I, I mean, this stuff's all very close to Scientology, but it's not. It's what dietitians study. So it's the study of diet. And there's this book about critical dietetics and critical nutrition studies I was asked to review. So I read this whole book thinking, I don't know what in the world I'm going to get out of this. And it's extraordinarily clear that this is exactly what happened. You had a number of scholars who were trying to publish these critical studies about dietitians or dietetics, and they weren't getting accepted. They even said in the book that in the genesis of their field, they're explaining it. They said that we weren't getting, we weren't able to get our papers accepted. The journal editors would reject them and say, well, this isn't dietetics, so we can't accept it. 
And so we created our own journals and we started publishing our own books and we're now, you know, whatever journal, we're now seven years into this. And now we have faculty members at various universities or schools that do nothing but this. And so this process was laid extremely bare there. Uh, as far as the, the coronavirus or the COVID-19 scenario that we're in right now, uh, there was just the other day uh, published from Queen Mary University, which is in London, um, they called for an intersectional analysis of the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic. And they did so specifically on the back of the fact that the United Nations started to complain that the virus, even though it is indirect health impacts more impactful on men than women, that it's really impacting women more. And they said, well, this doesn't go nearly far enough. We need to have this be fully intersectional. So they published this, um, I think it's like five page PDF. It's very short, um, explaining, they call it an analysis, but there's no analysis whatsoever in it, explaining why we need to uh, be more intersectional in how we study the COVID-19 epidemic. And um, one of the points that they raise is they say, well, what do we need to do? What are the recommended actions? And one of them is to start to contextualize all of the data. And so they write, and I quote, in reporting the effects of pandemics, individual and group experiences must be placed in broader contexts. Social forces, which include socioeconomic and political context, governance, policy, and cultural and societal values and norms, influence of persons, social location within their household, community, and the wider health system. Special consideration should be given to how COVID-19 is exacerbated by globalization, capitalism, urbanization, war, conflict, climate change, racism, and xenophobia. And so this idea about contextualizing data, I mean, this isn't a totally like slam dunk perfect fit of what I was just saying. Uh, but this is actually an attempt to no longer study the virus in and of itself, but rather to start studying the, the um, sociology around the pandemic response to make that become the priority. So let's study the sociology of the thing. And of course, we're going to have to do it with all of what, what are we, what are we focusing on exacerbating it? Capitalism, uh, climate change, racism, xenophobia, you know, all the normal kind of stuff and talking about all these intersecting variables. So this is a goal to make this be about the sociology around the pandemic response. So you kind of have this coming out. I guess this study was immediately uh, kind of followed by one at Columbia Law that argues very similarly. Um, articles in major journalistic outlets like the New York Times are uh, talking about the way that women's, um, I think one that came out today, in fact, was talking about the way that women's Health issues have been kind of systemically, systematically ignored because it's a male-centric thing. So there's your genealogical approach. And so this is really, you know, kind of step one. It's much more naked often in the academic thing, but with the pandemic, everything's kind of on an accelerated timeline. Um, where the goal, uh, the step one of of taking over something and making it about intersectionality or making it about critical social justice is well underway, which is to turn that field of study, in this case, pandemic response, into a study making the priority be the sociology and cultural anthropology around that thing. And so there will be entire, um, I don't even know if to call them disciplines or, or or something like this. There'll be entire projects put forth in the next few months that are going to focus probably under a heading of health equity um, very, very heavily on this. Uh, they'll talk about, for example, that there are disparate health outcomes by race. This is already happening and that we don't know why those happen. Therefore, they're probably racism. 
and that this demands more study into the sociology of medicine, and we need to be more critical in how we approach our study of medicine. And there will be more and more pressure to create a critical sociology that will dig uh, also genealogically, as Foucault would have it, into the history of power dynamics around medicine, around public health, around healthcare. So that's, that's step one. Turn the field of study into the sociology and cultural, cultural anthropology of that field. And again, that has deep roots both in the neo-Marxist critical theory program and in Foucault's uh, ordering of things, which included really in the archaeology of knowledge is where this comes from, is that you have to um, look at things critically, which is the sociological aspect, and you have to look at things genealogically, which is going to be the cultural anthropology aspect. That's step one. So step two is then to go forward and claim that the systemic problems in the field manifest from the nature of the field itself. So in academia, remember, we're talking about the way that the virus of critical social justice, and again, I remind you, they call their own mindset a virus. I'm not labeling them this, you know, unfairly. They have actually published academic papers or at least one, openly calling themselves a virus and saying that it's the ideal model for their pedagogy, their approach to education. Um, so step one is to remake everything about the sociology and anthropology of the field. Step two is to claim that the systemic problems in the field that they found by studying it sociologically and anthropologically actually manifest from the nature of the field itself. So the virus now, this is where the DNA is. So the, the step one there was like, with the coronavirus, I don't know how much any of you all are paying attention to how it works, but it has some spike protein, and then that bonds to something on the surface of the cell that allows the genetic material from the virus to get in. That's step one. Start making it about sociology. Start making it about anthropology. Step two is that genetic material gets inside the cell and starts replicating. And so that starts making the virus proteins and virus genetic material instead of the stuff the cell usually makes to do its job. So here now we're going to dig deep in and say that the field itself is the problem. So for example, if it were mathematics, there are lots of calls that have started around the study of the education and sociology of mathematics departments and mathematics education that increasingly bend toward saying that maybe it's not just how we teach math, Maybe it's something to do with the math itself, and that's how this step happens. There was actually a essay in the Notices of the American Mathematical Society, AMS, not that long ago, saying that maybe we don't just need to rethink how we teach math, we need to rethink math itself, because uh, obviously if teaching math has issues, like disparate outcomes on, on mathematics achievement, then maybe it's not just how we educate. Maybe it goes deeper. Maybe math itself, which was created by, in, in theory, according to theory, I should say, not in, in theory, I mean, really, the, the concept of critical social justice theory would say that mathematics has been developed by white Western men, and therefore it would encode the biases. There's that cultural anthropology again, right? There's that genealogy again. And so maybe math itself is the problem. Maybe engineering itself is the problem because it's a white Western approach. Maybe science itself is a problem. So you see like in the Science Must Fall program that's kind of running rampant in South Africa right now, this idea that science is definitely a white and Western thing and it is not for South Africa. It's not for post-colonial contexts. It would be colonization, in fact, to keep using science. And the... This isn't unique to this post-colonial theory. It was a hot topic in the 80s and 90s with feminism. To, they came up with this whole alternative feminist science thing based in feminist empiricism, which has mostly gone out of fashion now, that indicated that because men, men had dominated science for so long, they built science to be naturally exclusionary to women and leave them out. So science itself is corrupted. You saw that in the feminist glaciology paper saying that glaciology needed feminist research because it was built originally 
over 100 years ago by men who were tough guys who could go to really extreme environments when we didn't really have a lot of technology and could survive and come back and report what they saw along with maybe how many walruses they killed or something. So this occurs in a predictable way. They distill and name the problematics within the sociology and anthropology of the field and then insist that the field must have been designed with the knowledge system and biases that benefit from those problematics and the power dynamics. And then the claim will be made, as I just was talking about, that those power dynamics and problematics are therefore actually a part of the field itself. So when you have the thing in um, the New York Times talking about that medicine is never really focused on women's problems, well, medicine is therefore male-centric. And so this is clearly uh, a specific problem to that. When you see the feminist glaciology thing saying that glaciology itself is particularly um, masculine or, or originated in a very masculine way, they, they then say that the science itself was encoded with those masculine biases. And so... Whether this is occurring um, specifically within the pandemic response is not particularly clear. You see a little bit of it to do with medicine. You're going to see a little bit of it to do with public health, claiming that those disciplines have never properly taken intersectional issues into account, and therefore they're way behind that curve, and therefore that they are systemically built to create biased outcomes. Um, It's a pretty bold claim. It's one that could be examined by evidence, but then they would have to claim that any evidence that disagreed came from white science. So th this is intrinsically part of, of the mindset. So this is that viral DNA getting in. And so it continues into the into the institution, into the discipline, into the, to the, the program, whatever it happens to be. It will then continue and it will activate by saying that, insisting the, the power dynamic is, in fact, self-sustaining um, and that a, having a privileged position within it blinds you to understanding the problem and thus creates resistance to changing it. So male doctors, for instance, wouldn't understand. Male physicists wouldn't understand why there's some kind of a problem with women in physics. And it's because they have privilege and they don't want to lose their privilege and they aren't able to understand the perspectives, almost a standpoint epistemology that is what that's called, perspective. So therefore, you can't trust any of the established methodologies or any of the experts in the field because they're all built, built in that system. They're all self-interested uh, and therefore not open to what they might call other ways of knowing. And then you, they will, will leverage that above, and so they will, will will leverage that to point out that the system is in even more need of change, and that's, that that change must come from the outside. That's a very important part of this, because you can't just hire more of the same, because the same is caught up in that power dynamic that, that's which is self-sustaining. More of the same would be to bring more people in who have the kind of privilege who don't understand the problem. So you have to bring in outsiders, and in particular you have to bring in outsiders who understand the critical methods that characterize the sociology and cultural anthropology of the field and what those problematics are. And luckily they have a parallel discipline full of them that you could easily start hiring from. They're right here. You need to start hiring these people. And so... In the kind of extreme case, this could lead to or does lead to calling for retraction and destruction of any uh, sufficiently problematic scholarship or, or scholars. So when you have cases with like uh, Bruce Gilley, who published something called A Case for Colonialism, which massively transgressed the idea that colonialism uh, must always be bad, which is a in, in all of its effects, it's just a terrible thing in every possible regard, and then nothing good is allowed to be said about it. So when he published a case for colonialism as an academic paper, it was pandemonium. They, they called for his career. They called to have his PhD revoked. They threatened the journal editors that published it with death threats. 
He was brought up on all kinds of charges with his university, a diversity board, and so on. So to cancel problematic scholarship and scholars becomes part of that push. So you start to tend toward this idea that now we're going to bring in um, people who, who have the critical social justice mindset, and we're going to get rid of people and, and information that doesn't. And so again, the point with a virus is that it injects its genetic material into the cell, and then the cell stops doing what the cell normally does and produces viral materials. That's exactly what's happening here. It could not possibly be uh, more of this. So the third step, then, after step two, which is to claim that systemic problems in the field manifest from the nature of the field itself, the third step is to call to remake the field itself, to call to make public health intersectional under a rubric of health equity, to call to make um, physics or mathematics uh, have to incorporate an ethnic studies dimension or something like that, which is actually happening in uh, at least the state of Washington. So what will happen then is that the, the, the critical social justice virus begins to lead people to insist that the original field of study itself was fundamentally corrupt and has to be replaced. The demand will be not just for change, but for revolution in how the field is done or engaged with. Uh, and of course, the revolution will end up centering critical and justice-oriented methods as they define those. And that's, for example, um, the in, in the mathematics examples that I gave before, there's, a, there's one researcher who has no degrees in mathematics whatsoever named Rochelle Gutierrez, who has written in one of her papers that the idea of equity perhaps isn't enough for mathematics and mathematics education. Maybe revolution is what's called for. So this is this is something that actually happens. The call to completely remake the field itself, the field of dietetics, for example, needs to be completely remade with these new critical things in mind so that it will no longer continue the chauvinist patterns that have caused all us harms up till now. Glaciology has to be completely remade and include feminist art projects. This is in the feminist glaciology paper because it's always been masculinist up to now. Feminist art projects as a part of the science. I'm, I mean, not exaggerating. It gives a number of shocking examples. Um, recording the sounds that glaciers make, then putting that on, on records made out of ice that were made out of the meltwater of the glaciers and playing those for people to listen to. That's somehow important glacier science. And hooking up a phone line to a glacier so people can call the glacier and listen to those sounds. And then a woman who paints pictures that look like the aerial photography of glaciers, that, that her paintings should be considered on par with the satellite photographs, which, by the way, also are providing only a pornographic view that is um, falsely believed to be objective, presenting what you might call or they call a god's eye view from nowhere. I mean, really. So glaciology has to be remade to include feminist art um, because of this. And so this will all happen while they continue to prioritize the relevance of sociology and anthropology in the field. So that's, that's the cell, which is now the infected department, the infected project, the infected institution, the infected program, now producing more critical theory bullshit. That's, it's, it is now producing viral proteins and viral DNA. And do you see this in the pandemic response? Well, looking at the thing from Queen Mary University in their uh, recommended actions um, category, uh, we have, um, let me see, where was it? Uh, we need to undertake an intersectionality analysis of national and global responses, pandemic responses at the national and international levels. For example, World Health Organization and related budget support plans must go beyond the inclusion of a gender dimension and gender experts. There's, see, the experts, they need not just gender experts, they need more experts to include expertise in human rights in an analysis across factors such as disability, age, race, ethnicity, migration status, socioeconomic status, and geography. Uh, we should, it recommends broadening the bailout monies to apply specifically to migrants and to prioritize women, and then makes three specific 
calls at the end that include another reminder to hire their people. Intersectional critical theorists only, I'm sure. So you can see that this is what's going on, is that they are now trying to replace or at least fill the organizations with their own critical mindset people. Um, and what's the justification? Back to step two here. Uh, one of the recommended actions is that we need to commit to leadership diversity. And it says, to date, policymaking has been dominated by white, Christian, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied, wealthy men. Women from low- and middle-income countries comprise just 5% of the leadership positions in global health organizations. In reversing that trend and by making national and international policy spaces truly representative, substantive participation of women and people from minority caste, religious, ethnic, race backgrounds could positively impact the health of millions in the future. No explanation of how. You just have to put their people in, and then that will definitely create more. Um more success you know everything will work out better if you just put in more of their people so this is definitely happening with the COVID-19 response and like I said this represents one university and at least one other uh, has tagged onto this so what will happen when you start bringing these people in and as you just heard with the pandemic response and which fits in the critical dietetic situation which fits in the feminist glaciology paradigm which fits one example after another which fits in the ethnic studies program that's being brought in uh, to remake how mathematics and all k-12 through education takes place in washington which you hear in the calls to revolutionize mathematics which you hear in the calls to revolutionize the teaching of engineering from purdue university a book about uh, social justice and engineering from Purdue University Press, uh, is the increased insistence upon the need to apply critical and other subjective epistemologies. I can tell you that in the middle of a pandemic is not exactly the time we need subjective epistemologies operating at the center of it. There will be an insistence made to bring in more critically oriented faculty members, sources, and so on, or professionals, whatever it happens to be, if it's public health for a pandemic response, there will be a high priority put on diversity and inclusion and on equity. Health equity will be the relevant one in terms of the, uh, well, regular equity will be brought up a lot too in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, they will insist upon more source material from critically oriented professionals. I think that that's actually in the pandemic response exactly uh, was one of the recommended actions. Um, says to make policy responses cross-sectional and move beyond a deficit model. Um, yeah, it says decision makers should emphasize resourcefulness, resilience, agency, and strength. They should also prioritize engagement mechanisms among affected populations, particularly those who, despite, gen despite greater risks, may possess strong political and social awareness and collective organizations and coalition building experience and insights. So it's bring in our people, bring in our people, bring in our people. Um, over and over and over again is what it is. You know, we, we don't just need, we need to go beyond the inclusion of a gender dimension and gendered experts to include the expertise in human rights and an analysis across factors such as disability, age, race, ethnicity, migration status, socioeconomic status, and geography. Well, who's going to do that? Intersectional scholars, of course. Good thing they have a whole bunch of them ready to go. Every one of these people, I can guarantee you, because this is how this operates. This is how the concept of diversity op operates. It's not about bringing in people of various backgrounds. That's the nice thing that they tell you. That's the, the pretty picture on the box. What's inside the box is that you can only have somebody coming in if they have the right critical mindset. That's why you have to have uh, statements of commitment to diversity and equity and inclusion done when you apply for these jobs. They have to know who has the right mindset because the theory explains why. The, experience, the theory actually says that different cultures have different knowledges. This again stems back to kind of uh, kind of maybe perverse reading, not direct reading of Foucault, but it's how it's been interpreted into critical social justice. So different cultures, cultures have different knowledges. Sometimes those are called cultural knowledge. Sometimes they're called racial knowledge. And people within those, in particular, I should say that that knowledge is usually related to the experience of oppression associated with having that identity. 
which privileged identities are unaware of. So you have these, this idea that these people know something special and then they can either speak authentically about it, which means they're going to say the critical thing because they have critical consciousness, or they're going to say something inauthentic about it because they don't have critical consciousness, in which case they're being inauthentic, so they're not real experts. Meanwhile, you can't have somebody from a dominant group challenge that because they have privilege. So they have privilege-related blindness and privilege-related fragility, white fragility, for example, that prevents them from being able to hear or accept the views from these authentic voices of whatever identity group and the experience of, of, of oppression. So therefore, the only possible way that bringing in a diverse expert counts is if that diverse expert is speaking authentically into the diverse experience of oppression. So therefore, the call for more diversity ends up being a call to hire critical theorists, people who all think the same way, who happen to be speaking to that pattern of thought or speaking into that that critical methodology from different social positions, which they call positionality. So what's really stunning here is, is a simple fact. Let me summarize before we get to the stunning fact that you don't need to be an expert to do it. As a genome map for, for, for the virus of critical social justice, as it takes over, say, a discipline in academia, or as it happens to be taking over the coronavirus um, pandemic response, slowly while the rest of the world pretends that social justice just got irrelevant because of the virus. They're actually implementing this crap while you're reading the news about this new discovery about the virus or that new panic about the virus or this many people died today while you're reading the news about coronavirus and thinking that they don't exist. They're actually implementing their own viral infection of the response, mostly at the level of policy. The these people have the ears and uh, the balls of an awful lot of institutions right now, and they are able to implement this stuff. So they have, if you think of them as a virus, and if you think of a virus as infecting existing cells by somehow adhering to the surface, injecting their genetic material, turning the cell into a viral uh parts producer, proteins, genetic material, and so on, and then eventually erupting with more of the virus to go out into the world and other places, which again, I tell you, they characterize themselves this way. There's a simple map for how this works to take over an institution like academia or a program or an institution or a, uh, in particular, apparently a pandemic response in an emergency, which is step one to turn the field of study at hand into the sociology and cultural anthropology of that field. Step two, claim that the systemic problems in the field must manifest from the nature of the field itself. And then three, call to remake the field by installing their own people and people that think that the way they do, that want to just make the entire field be about its sociology and cultural anthropology, and therefore no longer be the field at all, and just be about critical theory production. At the end, when a virus infects a cell and produces a bunch more virus parts that then become new viruses, the cell dies. That's what's happening here. Our institution, whether it's mathematics, whether it's a pandemic response or whatever, that's turned more and more intersectional, produces people who think that way, but it doesn't do the thing it's supposed to do anymore. It's no longer doing math because all it's thinking about is the sociology around math and the various problematics that haven't been identified or sorted out yet, or the new ways to redo how we do it. It makes the thing a shell of itself that has just puked out more of the virus. And so the shocking thing is I hinted at is that no single, you don't need one expert, not a single expert in the field is needed to do any of this. All you need are people who are going to complain. All you need are people who know just enough about the history or the culture uh, of conferences, departments, and so on to complain about it in this critical way, or if we have to add the genealogy way uh, from Foucault, I, I kind of consider that a, a critical method, frankly, but if you if you have to include it separately, fine, whatever. Um, and, and the most likely people that will be doing this reside among the ranks of the failed experts of the field, the people that the field didn't successfully um, promote 
I guess, didn't allow to become successes in their field. And again, you can read that, for example, in the critical dietetics book, you actually have that. It's such a wonderful resource because they actually just tell you, it's like they just pull the curtain back and show you what's behind it. They just tell you, you know, oh, well, so-and-so, whatever researcher now, critical researcher had a practice and had all these kind of bizarre methods that people weren't interested in and the practice kind of failed. And that's not because people weren't actually interested in the kind of kooky, um, sideways dietary advice that person might be giving. It's because of the systemic power dynamics involved, obviously. Um, so I'll summarize real quickly again, and then we'll wrap up by me telling you again that this is how they think of themselves. So quick summary, how to insert wokeness into any field of study in three straightforward steps. It's a genome map for the critical social justice virus as it applies to academia and apparently a pandemic response. Step one, turn the field of study at hand into the sociology and cultural anthropology of that field. Say implicit bias a lot, create a parallel discipline that's the critical study of, or such and such studies. Produce books, journals, journal articles, possibly an academic department or sub-department to legitimize yourself. Step two, claim that the systemic problems in the field must manifest from the nature of the field itself. So there you want to say that that's something about the way that the field has always been done or the way that the field is organized or the material of the field itself must somehow uh, be imbued with problematic power dynamics. And then this shift from sociology and anthropology turns straight into the, the critical method at that point. The virus has entered the cell. And so now you're going to criticize the field itself. You're going to apply critical methods to the field itself, which might have had some kind of a layer of resistance before that. This will involve uh, calling to retract and destroy papers that disagree. Um, it will involve uh, destroying the academic careers of people who are a problem. And it will be all about pointing out that this, the, the power dynamics are self-sustaining and the people who benefit from them can't understand how they're a problem. And so those people become the problem and that they need to be removed. And then the step three is to call to remake the field itself, to make the field no longer whatever discipline it happened to be, but now it's going to be the critical study of that field. We're going to turn the field itself into the critical study of whatever uh, related topics. This will mostly happen by taking out people who were problematic from step two and replacing them calls for diversity hires, but the diversity hires are all going to have to be critical theorists and uh, the methodologies of the field will have to be made inclusive to those people, which means that they're going to have to be remade according to their politics. Um, the pressure for critical and subjective epistemologies and methods is going to be become more and more present. And again, I can't overstate that it's going to be to demand that sources and professionals in the field are oriented from the critical position. So that's the virus. That's how it actually infects cells in, say, academia. That's how it actually operates. That's the picture, the whole picture. So to kind of wrap up, I will again remind you that this is them, not me, that characterize themselves as a virus, although I think that fits. So I'm characterizing them that way too. Here's a paper I don't think it was a very widely received paper, but a paper published in uh, Henero's Multidisciplinary Journal of Gender Studies uh, in 2016 by Brian Foz and Michael Carger, both at Arizona State University. The title is Women's Studies as Virus, Institutional Feminism and the Projection of Danger. So what I'm going to do is just read the abstract to this uh, academic paper, this published academic paper from 2016, and we'll close there. So it says, because women's studies radically challenges social hierarchies and lacks a unified identity and canon of thought, it often negotiates a precarious position within the modern corporatized university. 
At the same time, women's studies offers, by virtue of its interdisciplinary, critical, and infectious structure, cutting-edge perspectives and goals that set it apart from more traditional fields. This paper theorizes that one future pedagogical priority of women's studies is to train students not only to master a body of knowledge, but also to serve as symbolic viruses that infect, unsettle, and disrupt traditional and entrenched fields. In this essay, we first posit how the metaphor of the virus in part exemplifies an ideal feminist pedagogy, and then we investigate how both women's studies and the spread of actual viruses, e.g. Ebola, HIV, let's go ahead and add, uh, what is it, SARS-CoV-2, or however it works out, the COVID-19 virus, produce similar kinds of emotional responses in others. By looking at triviality, mockery, panic, and anger that women's studies as a field elicits, we conclude by outlining the stakes of framing women's studies as an infectious, insurrectional, and potentially dangerous field of study. In doing so, we frame two new priorities for women's studies, training male students as viruses and embracing negative stereotypes of feminist professors as important future directions for the potentially liberatory aspects of the field. So, it's a virus, and we have the genome map. The genome map is to turn the, the, the whole project into studying the sociology and anthropology of the related field, that drawing off of both critical and postmodern analysis, to claim that the problems are systemic to the field itself, and then to call to remake the field itself, both in terms of what it does and in terms of who it employs to do it. So we should be taking this seriously um, because it's not just applying to essentially every academic department you can imagine. It's also being applied to the pandemic response for the COVID-19 um, pandemic we're all facing right now and which is a global public health emergency with tremendous consequences. And they're trying to remake our response to it in real time, according to this map. They are infecting our cure.